Today, I want to talk to you about a topic, a very powerful topic. We are teaching through James, and we're now in James chapter 4, where James talks about, he talks about this conflict that people have in relationships. Where do wars and where do fights come from? And then he gives us the antidote of how that we can navigate and have peaceful relationships. Today, I want to talk to you about extraordinary humility extraordinary humility. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to James chapter 4. Today we're looking at the power of living a God-reliant life. There is a big difference between self-reliance and God-reliance. It's a big difference. There's a big difference between depending upon self, living according to the self, and living according to God's design, God's life. God's strength. Today, I want to talk to you about the big difference because when you begin to live God-reliant life, when you begin to do it God's way, in other words, when you open up and say, God, I want you to help me live this life. Lord, my hands are open. You ever said that before? God, my hands are open. My heart is open. Lord, I I don't want to, let me say it this way. Lord, I don't want to push you out of my life anymore. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you've been living this life and you've just kind of, I say this respectfully, maybe you just kind of said, God, I, I, I mean, every now and then I'll let you in, but, I, but basically I want to just kind of keep you at arm's distance. James talks about the power of living a humble, God-dependent life. James chapter 4, verse 1, I'm going to jump right into it. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? This is important. He starts talking about, where does all this conflict come from? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, these are some strong words he's getting ready to say. Adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Wow. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. These early believers in James, they were struggling, not too different from how we struggle today. They they had hopes and expectations for their lives. Why? They wanted upward trajectory in their life. They wanted their marriage to be good. They wanted their kids to be good. They wanted their vocational uh, occupation. They wanted to do well in work. They, They wanted, listen, we all want that the same way that they did. You know what I love about the Bible? I love about the Bible. These are like real people in the Bible. Isn't that cool? These are not like some, you guys know that, you know, there's a lot of movies done in the New Orleans area and Actually, around Atlanta as well. You, you know, you have, you have filler people. You know, like filler people. Some of you guys have been in that, right? You, you're like in a basketball thing in a movie. We'll just, we'll just pay you. Just, it's not real. I mean, they're real people, but it's not really. I mean, they're not really. In other words, it's, they're not central to the plot. Can I, can, can I tell you something? Every single person in the Bible was a real per- person that had real problems. They served a real God. They went through real trials. And can I tell you, and they really overcome. They overcame. They want an upward trajectory in their life. I showed a graph. Can I show you what they wanted? This is what they wanted. How many of y'all want that? <laughs> more recognition, more success, more favor, 
more excellence, better kids, better marriage, better this, better, you fill in the blank. But here's how life usually looks for most people, a different graph. It's like this. How many of y'all say, Pastor, that's my life the last month. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. It's up, it's down, it's up, it's down, it's up. And sometimes your spiritual life just goes, beep, begins to flatline. James is addressing this group right here. And you know what he says to this group? He says, guys, let me tell you something. There's a reason why. By the way, when your life goes up and down, you know what we do? We get into a comparison game. We go on social media. Ooh, that's dangerous. You start comparing. Their kids are smarter than my kids. Their house is nicer than my house. Their vacation's better. And then, they st- then you start turning to your spouse. They went on a better vacation than me. Why? And you're like, oh my gosh. You know? And then all of a sudden, you're just like, I'm melting. You know what I'm talking about. Because by the way, no, let me say, everybody puts on social media the upward trajectory of their lives. My kid is an AAAA student. Does anybody put a bumper sticker? I'm proud. My son's a C student in school. But we compare. So what do we do? Well, we go to great lengths to try to get noticed, to control outcomes, to change a trajectory. We come into relationships. We try to angle conversations. We do everything we can. Why? Because we all want to come off better. And the truth is, we often start pulling people down to try to lift ourselves even up. James is dealing with this right here. Where do fights and wars come from? Where does it come from? James chapter 6, he gives us the antidote. And maybe that's where you are right now, a conflict in a relationship that's principal in your life. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's with a kid. Whatever it is. Maybe it's at work. James gives us the antidote. In other words, how do we navigate through this conflict? Don't miss this. Verse 6. But he gives more grace. Everybody say more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I I don't want to be resisted by God. How about you? Let me tell you. I want God's full-time job not to be resisting me. I want my full-time job to be humbling myself so God makes it his job to exalt me at due time. I don't want to be resisted by God. I uh, had the privilege, I've said this name twice now publicly. This will probably be the last time I say it for a while, but I had the privilege of of being uh, with David Green last week, a couple weeks ago, and many of you in our business people at our church saw him. David, when he came, he's the founder of Hobby Lobby and He's a, he's a billionaire. But beyond that, he's a, the, one of the most godly, humble people I've ever met in my life. Could you imagine if you were a billionaire, some of the thoughts that you may have in your mind? I don't need to submit to you. I don't need to talk to you. I don't sound generous, gracious, visionary, humble. Let me tell you something. Let me, I have a word for business people in our church. You can be prosperous, build great things, build big businesses, and not be a jerk. That was a word from God, by the way, from somebody. You can be humble, gracious, anointed, and successful in the kingdom. How many of y'all are grateful we can do it God's way? Come on. How many of y'all are grateful for that? Four ways to live reliant on God. I'll jump right into it. 15 minutes. Number one, how do we do it? Submit to God. 
and resist the devil. I'm just teaching verse by verse through here. James chapter 4, verse 7. I want to live, Pastor. I want to live relying on God and not relying on myself. Number one, submit to God and resist the devil. James chapter 4, verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In the face of everything that we want in life, we want to go for it. We want to capture our dreams. We want to become, achieve, and do. James says, number one, submit to God. The word submission is an interesting word. Submission. To submit means that you come under. There's a primary mission. It's God's mission, God's plan for your life. That's why I say this all the time. God's plan for your life is better than your plan for your life. And we submit to God. Why is it that we have a hard time submitting to God? Why is it that we have a hard time saying, God, let your will be done in my life, not my will? And yet God has a great plan for our lives. I believe that. Proverbs, actually Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. God's got a good plan. Why, why do we fight God so much? When God's got an amazing plan, why, why do we struggle and, and, and strive when, when, when God, God has got a plan for Oh, no. It's not to suggest that we don't go through trials and tribulations, but God gives us the grace and the wisdom and the power to navigate through it. Think of Jesus. He chose to submit to the Father. John chapter 5. I only say, I only do what I hear him tell me to do. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it? We all want the enemy to flee out of our lives, right? We want darkness to go. We don't want those negative things. We don't want, we don't, we don't want the negativity and the evil around us. Could we be missing a step? Could it be the reason why darkness is not fleeing from us is because we're not submitting to God first? In other words, what I see and what I've found and what the Bible teaches is a direct correlation for us the authority that we have to rebuke the devil is directly contingent upon our submission to Christ. Because we don't have authority over the devil in our own strength. Christ does. And when we submit to Christ, guess what? We now then walk in the authority of Christ. Everybody say, submit to God. Everybody say, resist the devil. The word resist is the word antihistamine. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that interesting? How did Jesus resist the devil in the wilderness? He spoke the word. When you speak the word, when you speak the word, well, we have authority over the devil to bind the devil, to resist the devil, to break the power of the enemy off of our life, off of our, to the degree that we submit to God. By the way, there was a group, I, I'm actually reading, this is interesting, I'm in the Life Journal this morning, Acts chapter 19, this morning, it's the reading, those of you that do the Life Journal with me. Acts chapter 19, there was what's called the seven sons of Sceva. And they came up to this demonic person and they said, uh, we cast out the devil. We cast you out. What is it? Yeah. In the name of Jesus, who Paul talks about. Well, that was authority, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, the devil went, ripped their clothes off and seven Jewish naked exorcists ran down the street. That's in the Bible. Why is it? They try to resist the devil, 
but they weren't submitted to God. How many of us in our lives were trying to resist the devil, but we're not submitted to God? I'm talking about being God-reliant today, not self-reliant. Let me tell you, as the world gets darker and darker and darker and darker, can I help everybody? How about, we better get more submitted, more submitted, more submitted, more submitted. Because the strength of the authority in your life over darkness is directly connected to your submission to God. Number two, the second thing that we're learning here. I love the Bible, by the way. And it's so, it's so practical. Number two, come near to God, purify your heart and your mind. Look at this. James chapter 4, verse 8, we're talking about how to live God-reliant. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Well, how do we draw near? Repentance. By the way, repentance is not just the introduction into our faith. It should be ongoing. It means to change our mind, change our perspective. Are we living self-reliant or God-reliant? Look at verse 9. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. What is he talking about? What does it mean to lament? To lament doesn't mean beating ourselves up over our sins. No, we don't pay for our own sins. Christ paid for our sins. Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ rose again. Christ will come again. To lament simply means that we recognize when the Holy Spirit puts his finger in our heart and we're convicted, we own our sin and we quickly go to Christ and realize that we've been living self-reliant. By the way, let me give you a biblical term, living in the flesh. Paul says, according. do you know what living according to the flesh means? Here's, here, here it is. It means being self-reliant. God-reliant versus self-reliant, living in the flesh, walking in the Spirit. Living in the flesh is living self-reliant. And here it is too. He says, lament, mourn. You know what it means? In other words, be broken over the fact that you've been living so flesh-driven. So self-reliant. Yeah. I wonder if at times we don't lament and mourn and weep because we're so busy in our culture where the Holy Spirit actually has very little room to even get a hold of our hearts. That's why sometimes when we, some, some of us, myself included, Sometimes we're scared of actually getting still. Because when we get still, God talks to us. If we could just keep active enough, we can just kind of run past the conviction. Yeah. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. What does that mean? Am I getting saved again? No. What I'm doing is I'm resubmitting my life. I'm not allowing anything to get into interfere in my relationship with God. So my encouragement to you, Pastor... What do you say? How do we live God-reliant and not self-reliant? When the Holy Spirit puts his finger on an area of our heart where we've been living according to the flesh, we've been sinful, we've said things we shouldn't have said, just own it, own it, own it, own it. Remember this, when you're a Christian, you made a mistake, but you aren't a mistake. Differentiate between your behavior and who you are as a person. I own that. I don't want that to define me. I repent of that. Thank you for the blood of Christ. Number three, the third thing is don't judge others. Now, I want everybody, every location to lean in and listen to what I'm saying. Not judging others is probably one of the most grossly misunderstood concepts in the Bible. Yes, misunderstood. I'm going to talk to you about what it means. James chapter 4, verse 11. James says, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. What is he talking about? But if you judge the law, 
You're not a doer of the law, but a judge. What is James talking about? What law? The law of love. Paul wrote about it in Galatians chapter 5. Summed up in one word, love. God, (laughs) we believe the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. God tells James, write this down. Here it is. When someone speaks evil or slanders another, another brother, another sister in Christ. Here's what he says. You've set yourself up to be the judge and the lawgiver. And you violated that. At the same time, I want to give qualification to this. And I think this is important. Let me tell you what this passage is not saying. It's not saying this. The passage is not saying that we don't need to address sin when we're in a position to do so. James is not forbidding confronting those in sin, which is elsewhere commended and commendable and commanded in Scripture. He's not saying don't confront sin. What he is saying is what? Don't be careless in your words, derogatory in your words, salation. Don't slander with your words and don't accuse people out of your own heart. Let the word, only speak what the word says. If you share and if you have a relationship with somebody and and they're in a relationship and you see them going down the wrong path and you show them from the word, the word says this, please, I'm appealing to you. It's a lifeguard throwing them a a, a life preserver. When When you speak the word and confront that sin, you're not speaking evil of them. You're trying to help deliver them. And with this is where we are in our cult. Don't judge me. I'm not judging you. The Bible judges you. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. No. Judging somebody is when you slander them. It's when you speak evil of them. It's when you, out of your own opinion, surmise an opinion of them and you label them according to your own heart. But when you've got somebody going off the deep end that you, they're in a position to speak to, you say, man, let me tell you what the word says. The word says don't be unevenly yoked. The word says, and you just, whatever it is. The, the word says don't, don't have fellowship with darkness. The word says, that, that, that's not you judging them. That's, that's, that's you appealing to them according to the word. That's you calling them out according to the word because you love them. And that's where we are in our culture right now. We're so scared to speak the word of God. Why? It's not your opinion. It's God's opinion. Let me tell you, slander comes from your opinion. Biblical authority comes from God's opinion. God's opinion. Speak God's word. God's word. This is a whole message that I can go into. But I don't have time to do it. I want to do it. I should do it. I can't do it. Because you got to beat the Baptist to lunch. That was funny. I don't care if you liked it or not. I love beating the Baptists. Anyway. All right, here we go. They're all my friends, by the way. Although if we had a softball team, we would whip them. But anyway, so. Why am I saying this in church? I'm judging. I'm speaking evil. All right, here we go. Number four, don't boast about tomorrow. This is so, just right down the line. Look at James chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. I'll close with this. Come now, you who say today, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? What is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time, and then it vanishes away. 
You know, it's interesting. I love the Word of God, and, and um, whenever I read the Word of God, it's, it's really important. I, I want to just teach you one principle that's important. It's, you know, in seminary, you take a class called hermeneutics. And let me tell you what hermeneutics is. Hermeneutics is it's called the science of biblical interpretation. And you, if you go to a, a, in a seminary that believes the Bible is the Word of God still, which I did, thank God, you learn how to interpret Scripture. And the greatest interpretive key is, watch this, is you compare Scripture with Scripture. Just remember that. You can take a verse out of context and make it say anything you want. So why is that important? You read this in James. The Bible says, don't concern yourself with tomorrow. Don't make plans for, and whoa, okay, so I'm not going to plan for my future. I'm not going to plan for retirement. I'm not going to plan what I'm going to do. Is the Bible advocating us to be irresponsible and not think towards the future? Apparently not. Why? Because Habakkuk says, write the vision, make it plain, write it down, and run towards it. So the Bible says, concern yourself with the future. Compared with, don't worry about the future, where's the balance? I'll tell you what the balance is. Make plans, but make sure, number one, God's involved, and it's God's plan for your life. And number two, hold everything loosely, because you still are in the palm of God's hand. That's what it means. That's what it means. That's what it means. I mean, who would have planned for COVID? Who would have planned for that? Who would have planned for whatever? In other words, life is fragile. And what he's saying is our faith is not in our plan for the future. Our faith is in the God who's already been in our future. That's our faith. James chapter 4, verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, yes, I'm planning for my future. Yes, I've got a five-year plan, a 10-year plan. But, but I also put the caveat, put the caveat, if the Lord wills. I'm going to make the plan, but if the Lord wills, we're going to do that. We're going to do that because I want to balance out scripture. I'm going to make the plan. I'm going to write the plan. I've got a year plan. I've got a five-year plan, but I, but I hold it in, in, in my hands, and I'm in the palm of God's hand. I say, Lord, it still all belongs to you. Let me give you a key here. Invite him in early in the process. Yeah. Some of you guys in work, you, maybe you have somebody on your team. You're like, well, why didn't you invite me in? You're kind of bringing me something that's, matter of fact, I'll close with this story. This will help. We're talking about what James is talking about right here. Every Christmas, my son, my older son, he loves for us to make cinnamon rolls. And they're big ones, not those little small little nerdy ones. <laughs> they're really just big ones, it's huge. And he, his mom is like, Mom, make sure to pick them up. So we all, all the kids, even though they're college and now out and graduate school, so, so but they're, they all came to their house. We were there, and so he made the cinnamon rolls. And he said, Dad, why don't you come on over and you can put the frosting on? He gave me that frosting. I'm like, I'm now in control of my own destiny. <laughs> that was the dumbest thing he could have ever done, right? And of course, if you're in control of that, you're going to put the most on the one that you want, right? You're like, dad, 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 no, 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 dad. Can I tell you something? Here's my point. Sometimes we bring to God baked cinnamon rolls, and we're just asking God, God, can you bless the plans that I figured out? I'll let you put the frosting on it. I want you to put the frosting. No, no, no. Here's what God says. I want to actually help you make the dough. You don't understand. Let me roll my... I actually want to be a part of the whole... No. Actually, 
I want to give you the idea how people, now you got to cooperate with me. We don't believe in the Kesara doctrine, right? Whatever will be, will be. I just kind of hang out, I just worship Jesus, let everything. That was funny too, by the way. Now you got to get up, you got to go to work, use the gifts, talents God gives you. But, you but, he, but he gives you the, the vision and the dream. And, and, and so in other, words, in other words, James is saying this. Here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. Listen, listen, here it is, here it is, here it is. James is saying this. Let God make the dough. Let God help you put the frosting on. And if God changes it last minute, are you okay with that? Because God knows what's coming up. He knows what's coming up. And he knows the traps. And he knows the strategy of the enemy to try to hurt you and harm you. And he's a good father that wants to bless you and fulfill you. How many of y'all grateful that's God's heart? Come on. All right. I told you I would be finished right on time. And I'm going to ask everybody just to bow their heads right now. First point, submit to God. Yeah. Why is it so hard to submit to God? Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you've come to this place. Maybe you're watching online, our TV program, wherever, and you're saying, Steve, you know what the reality is? I've never come to the point where I've submitted to God. I've wanted the steering wheel, and I've gripped the steering wheel of my life so hard. Yeah. See, the first step... To living the life that God intends is you got, you got to let go of that. And you got to say, Jesus, I surrender. I surrender to you. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Make me new. Do you know Christ? Have you ever surrendered to Jesus? Have you ever come to that place where you've said yes to God? Or are you so hooked on living self-reliant that you've just said, I'm just going to do it my way? My friend, I can tell you this. You're missing out on God's best for your life. You really are. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I can't save you, church. The king can't save you. I'll tell you who can. His name is Jesus. I can point to the one who saves. Do you know Christ? Do you know that you know if you die today, you're ready to stand before God? With everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm just going to ask every location right now, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. I need the blood of Jesus to wash me, to cleanse me and to make me new. If that's you at the count of three, I'm going to ask for a show of hands. I'm going to pray for you. Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. One, two, three. Hold, it, hold your hand up high quickly. God bless you, sir. God bless you right there. Anybody else? God bless you right there, sir. God bless you right there as well. Anybody else? God bless you up top right there. Yeah. God bless you, sir. God bless you way up top right there. God brought you here today, my friend. Yeah. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. Church, let's pray with those that are trusting Jesus right now. This is a holy, holy moment in our service. Every week, this is a very important moment. Let's pray together. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you today, a sinner in need of a Savior. Say this. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I let go of my past, and I turn to you. I turn to the cross. Say, Jesus, wash me with your blood. Give me a new heart, a new life, a new reason to live. Say this, say, Jesus, I take my life and I put it in your hands. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the sealing work of the Holy Spirit and the word of the living God taking root deep in the hearts of your people. 
Wow, what a powerful message today. And let me just pause for a second and acknowledge those of you who are making a decision to give your lives to Jesus today. If that is you, I literally believe that's the best decision you could ever make. We're so excited for you. The Bible says that you're a new creation and today really isn't the finish line. It's the starting line of an amazing new life with Jesus. And we believe that the best is yet to come, that your best days are ahead of you. And as a church, we really wanna partner with you and journey with you as you start this new life with Jesus. So the easiest way for you to let us know that you just made that decision is if you click that link that's in the chat room right now, or you can text the word decision to the numbers 822-822. And that allows us to, to give you some resources and really just to follow up with you and help you as you're beginning this new life with Christ. It's so exciting. We can't wait to see what God's going to do in your life. Well, with that being said, our service is coming to a close, but you are not going to want to miss next week as we wrap up this series we've been in called Extraordinary Living. It's the sixth and final week next week, so you're not going to want to miss it. We'll see you next week, and thanks again for being with us today. Hope you guys have an amazing week. We love you, and we'll see you soon.